Having a versatile, high-quality piece of clothing feels great. But having a whole closet full of favorites feels even better. American Giant puts the quality, durability, and comfort they're famous for into everything you need for your spring days. From premium t-shirts and jeans to lightweight French terry joggers and their legendary best hoodie ever. Get 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's American-Giant.com, code S-T-A-P-L-E, 2-0. Here at Making Movies is Hard, we want to express our support for the WGA strike as well as the SAG-AFTRA strike. We encourage our filmmaker comrades to look into how best they can be allies for the good fight. Please go to W-G-A-C-O-N-T-R-A-C-T, 2023.org to support the cause. Also, please check out sagaftra.org for additional resources. Making movies is hard, but casting for your movie doesn't have to be. With Casting Calls America, you can post your open roles for free in over 30 local markets nationwide. And when you post your roles, they will automatically post to IMDb Pro to get even more eyes on your project. All actor submissions are delivered to your user-friendly dashboard, making your casting process easy. You can even search our actor databases and invite actors you're interested in to audition to your project. Actors pay a small monthly fee and have all open roles delivered to their inbox each day. Get your project started today. It's casting made easy at castingcallsamerica.com. You know, making movies is hard. Making movies is hard. Welcome. This is the podcast about the struggle of being an independent filmmaker. I'm Mark Bissell, the founding host of the podcast. I'm a sci-fi horror filmmaker. And my first feature film, The Alternate, is out now on digital DVD and Tubi. I'm Liz Manischel. I'm a writer, director, producer who has made two features, Bread and Butter and Speed of Life. And I'm currently making others, including a horror comedy called Best Friends Forever. I do distribution and sales in indie filmmaking. And I used to manage the Creative Distribution Initiative at Sundance. This week, we welcome producer Stephen Gibbler on the show to talk about his career producing indie films, what led him to produce Liz's first feature, Bread and Butter, how he finds funds for projects, and then, of course, we talk about, at the end, his new app, Logline.ai, which is an app that uses AI to create pitch decks in just a matter of seconds. And I tried it, and it's pretty freaking awesome. Although, I know AI is a big, like, oh my god, but I think this is actually a good use of it for once. After that, we play another round of The Game. But first, Liz, how are you doing? Oh, God, I didn't prepare this one. How am I doing? I'm doing great. Did we talk about the bear? Let's keep on talking about the bear. I love it so much. I finished season <laughs> one. Have you watched it? Marcus is my favorite. <laughs> Have you watched it? Do you watch it? Well, we, we, we started watching it, and then uh, we had to turn it off because Beth got so freaked out about the chopping. Oh. Like, oh. The chop- oh. like She's like, oh, my God, is someone's fingers going to get chopped off? I was like, I'm pretty sure it's not the type of show that she's like, oh, my God, it's just freaking so. And like this, the energy in the kitchen and it just was too much for her. I mean, I think think she she was early on in her pregnancy when we were watching it. It was just like, oh, thanks. It's so good. Wait, wait, I have another recommendation that you should watch right now if you haven't watched it. And it has been recommended to me a million times and I didn't watch it until recently. Okay. Possession. Oh, no, I haven't heard of it. Joe Bob did it on his show a few weeks ago, and I oh. don't want to give anything away, but it has uh, Isabella Johnny from Nosferatu, who's amazing. And I will just say that very unexpected things happen in it that make it well worth watching. What year is it from? I mean, I'm going to Googs. I'm going to do some Googling. Goog it. And I think it's only available on Shutter. I mean, I'm I physical uh, 1981. It's available physically, oh, but I cool. know it's hard to get to it. It's a Polish director and Fun. Sam Neill is in it. If you like Ooh, that. I love Sam Neill. It's amazing. Especially 80s Sam Neill. Man, that's some good Sam Neill. I just want everyone to go like just everyone go see Possession. Like just go see it awesome. right now. How are you? I'm good. You know, the the baby stuff is what it is. Yeah, I'm, you know, trying to to get back to some of the things I used to be doing before my, I had this really busy time in my life. So I've been playing a little bit more piano. I've um, been playing with BB a little bit, which has been great. And yeah, I've been thinking a lot about my movies and sort of coming up with a plan for like how I want to do 
these next scripts, but I haven't really like gotten to any work on it right lately. But maybe there'll be time for that at some point. We'll see. We'll see how that works. Probably won't be for months and months until we talk to each other next, but that's okay. I do think that I can finish this script by the end of the year, though. Like, I've been, I I know, like, I think I probably said in the beginning of the year that I'd be, I'd finish it by May. But then things just got so busy. But I think I can finish it by the end of the year, which I think to me would be like an amazing goal to achieve because then I could you know, be set up to write this other movie that like I really want to write, but like I can't write it until I finish the one that I'm working on. Like I've just kind of come to that conclusion with myself creatively that I just need to get this other one out. And yeah, so that's kind of where I'm at. I've got a lot of reading that I've put aside, a lot of other emails from people that I've, you know, uh, haven't responded to. My, my email draft list keeps on growing. I think like at the beginning of the year, it was like 110 or 120 drafts and now it's like 180 <laughs> drafts. That's Just not bad. Like, That's really actually not that bad. Wow, okay. So I'm not the only one who like starts emails and doesn't finish them. <laughs> well, I, I organize my to-do list in a different way. I do labels on Google, but I have, I will tell you, I have 64 in my quote-unquote urgent and then I have... 239 oh, in my non-urgent. So don't, don't you worry. I don't feel so bad. Don't you worry one bit. <laughs> you know, that, that like lifted like a pain from my heart. Like it just kind of like, <laughs> was like, oh, okay, I'm not a terrible person. That's You're great. You're not. Okay. Believe me. This is, this is normal. Bit. It's a normal thing. Yeah, I, I would love to get it down to like 50 or under. It'd be so nice. But we'll see if that's in my future or not. But, you know, another thing that you can do that uh, is easier than getting down to 50 uh, drafts of emails is to check out our Patreon page. Go over to www.patreon.com slash podcast. This is the way that you can support the show to keep us going, keep this thing moving, keep the ch- the, the chains or the, the tires or the... I don't know, propeller spinning, whatever device you want to say. You can also check out jambox.io. They're a royalty-free music and sound effects company with an emphasis on high-quality cinematic cues. Their composers have worked on soundtracks for Hollywood-level films, working with directors like Michael Bay and Martin Scorsese, and they even offer customized plans to fit your needs, which is pretty awesome. But without any more delay, here's our chat with Steven Gibbler. Mr. Stephen Gibbler, can you just provide like a short bio or summary of of yourself? I know it's an impossible task, but can you give it the old college try for us? All right. I want to be very much in the zone with this. All right. So my name's Stephen. Liz, you're the best. I've been in Los Angeles for about 10 years now. And in that time period, I've been a producer in seven features. Um, I got to work with Academy Award, you know, nominated actors and filmmakers and winning too for some of the development stuff. I've also produced commercials for Amazon, Lancome, uh, AMC, Head and Shoulders. The Lancome one was Zendaya. Everyone gets excited about that. So I have to mention I worked with her. I also was a chief producer of the largest immersive art museum in China called the Silos. I think it's not the largest anymore, but this big time project that brought a lot of unbelievable artists around the world who create the sort of vivid experience in this grain silo in Shenzhen, China, and did it all remotely. Wild job. And apparently won a bunch of awards. So things are going great with that. I've also done TV. I was a production manager at Hoplite Productions, and I pro, I think I PM five different TV shows all at the same time while there. And I do stuff in new media, and I'm an adjunct professor at USC Film School. So Wow. What I want to hear is about how you found your way into producing of all the different you know, jobs that you could have gotten on set. Yeah, sure. It's funny because like when I first went to film school, being this young, but you know, mildly smart filmmaker, I'm like, I want to direct. And there's really no like directing internship, you know, <laughs> we're like, you know, nice work, kid. You get the right be behind the camera and make movies. You know, that's just this is not how it works. And so like my brain's like, all right. Maybe like an amoeba and split in this thing. And I'll produce and write. And what I'll do is the producing side will be the thing that makes projects. I'll work with the people that I ideally will eventually want to direct with somebody down the line or write with down the line. You know, financiers. I actually understand how the filmmaking process works because I didn't trust myself. And I'm like, it's important to do a bunch of this stuff and make sure you get it right. I also wrote as well too. So did a bunch of writing stuff, worked creatively and I'm really starting to get back more into the creative writing process 
now that I've done a bunch of producing stuff because, you know, we all became filmmakers because there's something that the medium of motion picture can tell that words can't. And, you know, there's stuff to be said. So getting back into that and excited about it. How do you define a good producer? A good producer, I talk to my students about this all the time. And it's like, it sounds like kind of hippy dippy and super heady, but so much of it is the optimization of self and that ethical side that comes with it. I remember when I was a student, I was going to be like super frank. I was, you know, I'm like, all right, I'm a rule follower. There's USC rules. We got to follow the rules. I was also scared that people wouldn't work with me because of that, that I wasn't this like hardcore, whatever it takes producer and all that. And like that genuinely freaked me out a bit. And I kind of made a choice sort of early on because like I was lucky in that I had good mentorship from like John Watson, Gail Katz, you know, Brenda Goodman, that you got to do things the right way. And it genuinely does work out because if you're someone who is like, what is the right way of doing things and the right way of doing things for yourself too. You have to ask yourself, am I being the best version of myself? Because there actually is a material reasoning behind that. Because if you're the best version of yourself, then you're not out procrastinating somewhere. You're getting stuff done. You're working on budgeting. You know, you're working on scheduling. I work, I produced with Liz. I want to make sure we all know that right now. So in case everyone's questions of bias come in, I just, we need to make sure we're clear. Right There's nepotism the going on here. There is. There, there is. <laughs> no, <Yeah>. we are <laughs> lucky. We're so lucky to have you. Steven. <laughs> Clear, right. And so like, I have to make sure I'm doing the best work for myself because like time is the most valuable resource. Look at the money that you have around. Are you using the economy of finance, the economy of time and the right ways too? And so it really, it comes down to the realization of who you are as a person. Because here's the thing, people that want to work with a certain person, that person becomes the A-tier producer because they get the best people to work with them. Their project ends up becoming better than other producers. And then this cumulative feedback loop starts to form where all of a sudden like, oh, this person did really good work. I want to work that person now. And it becomes a sort of runaway cycle. How you treat people in a genuine, real, humane way. And at any point in your career, I believe is a foundation to good producing. You probably already answered this, but I dropped out for a minute. But you, you talked about you wanted to be a director at first. Like, why haven't you ever come back to that in your career? Like, after seven producing seven features, is it just something that you realize that you just don't want to do? This is, all right, I love that question, Alden. Because the thing with directing, so Liz, for example, works very hard. There's a lot of emotional energy that goes into directing. I'm about to say, like, I'm essentially saying I'm a slacker. I'm not, I work hard. But like, there is like someone who just has to like go to places and do like real, real work. Like that pulls the energy right out. You're like literally giving away part of your soul to direct stuff because there's so much that happens to, to actor attachments, looking at the script and being like, oh, I hope this thing works. And then being told the budget and being like, well, I can't even use this. So I've got to find some other version of this. And so like, you know, just like you have to put so much in. And to me, if I were to direct again, it has to be the place where the resources make sense. And I put myself into a position where the process will always be painful, but you kind of know if it's like, this is an expected pain versus this is like, is this the best use of my time type pain? If you're asking if this is the best use of your time, then to me, it doesn't make sense to direct something. But if you're like, this is legitimately a good use of my time then I would direct something like that. And I just really haven't really had that for a while. <laughs> I want to go back to the fact that we've worked together because I've said this to you every single time I see you. Oh, yeah? But but bread and butter, I don't think would have happened without you. And I, I don't even know what you did. You like spun <sighs> some magic when you came on board that project where you just held everyone accountable and you created momentum out of nowhere and you got the train running at a different speed, so to speak. Oh. And I say this to you all the time. So, you know, you could pretend to be surprised, but whatever. So, <laughs> But what I would like to know is how? How do you do that? Is it a system? Is it a calendar system? Is it just like things in your brain become top of mind and you're very good at follow up? Like, what do you attribute your success rate to when you jump on a project? It's it's super weird because like people's brains are different. Some people just time doesn't exist in their head. And I'm like, how does that happen? How do you you I know one editor who's a big time editor who does not have a calendar. And I'm like, how does that work? It's, it's like someone telling you, yeah, we dated without cell phones in the 90s. I'm like, you're lying. That does, that's not a real thing. You know, and so like to me, like, you know, so much of a producer is like, if you do it enough, I look at it like sports. If you're a good basketball shooter, you're out there getting all your reps in. 
And you just innately know what to do at any given second. And that practice and repetition creates a sort of muscle memory in the process. Because I produce enough, a lot of it's muscle memory. I made sure I was at USC, I would produce all the time. I feel, I feel, I swear I produced like 50 projects in the first like two years. And then John Watson says I produce most thesis films in USC film school history because I didn't know better. I was like, I need to keep doing this thing. You know, I, I could be unemployed. Maybe one of these people will hire me for something. But like, yeah, you laugh. It's true. And so like, to me, I'm like, it's so much muscle memory at this point. I just, you could feel it in the air that, all right, this is the thing to do. And, you know, for people in long-term relationships, it's the in the air thing. Oh, I should text my partner <laughs> and see how they're doing. There's a lot, it's a lot of it's muscle memory type thing. So I wanted to know about how you decide what projects to get on and like how you pick your teams. Like, is, is it just like you meet a director and you know, like, hey, it's like I have this connection with them and it's going to be a good experience or is there another like way that you quantify like is this a yes or a no i i can't stress this enough i've been lucky in that i've said yes to the right projects early on where the projects that come after progressively get bigger and bigger where it's easy to say yes to and so like to a certain degree i've been very fortunate in that the projects that sort of come my way are like i generally say yes to i i'll be i'll be dead uh dead honest there's one project that I'm kind of working on that would be um it's like pop gear meets top gun and the uh lead producer has already gotten some yeses from like i think it's netflix and weirdly hbo max which is now max <laughs> right right and so like that project why would that be a yes because it's you know not narrative that i usually have done it's not commercial anything like that it's yes to me because i produce so much where it's like if you become really good at something that that rush keeps pumping through you and you like to keep making stuff and making stuff and making stuff that project like the way like the producers talk about it is going to be super fun like no joke it's legitimately going to be really fun and the thing is this is that be that mentality of like enjoying everything that you're working on really sets me up because I'm then start working on stuff and then I can say no to other things and or like I now have leverage because other people are like, hey, you want to work on this thing right here and so on and so forth. And so I genuinely enjoy making stuff because I've done it enough where it's not scare anymore and I have the muscle memory where I innately can kind of know 80% of the time how this thing has to go down. Nice. All right. The million dollar question or the like $10 million question that you were well, that changed in price. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you were expecting us. Why not a hundred million? All right, okay, I'll stop. It may up. be. It may be. Everyone who's listening is is going to want to be like, stop asking these questions. Find out how to fundraise for indie film. And so I, I know there's this. no answer and there's no well worn path. But what do you tell people when people say to you, "Do you have any tips on fundraising? How do you fundraise? How do you raise money in general?" How about this? I am going to tell you how all seven of my features that I worked on got produced. I think eight now, but I wasn't producer in one of them. I'm not going to use the names of the project. And what's going to happen is this, is that you'll learn from that. Ideally, we'll go from there. And <laughs> this may be the greatest mistake of my life. Um, but you know what? Here's the thing. If you're a listener, how fun would that be? If this guy got in huge trouble. So this is going to be a great time. You know? <laughs> so so, so the, the first one was the combination. I think Liz have talked about bread and butter. Yeah, you can just say bread and butter for the first one. We, I've, tell, I've written articles. I've done everything that tells, talks about the fundraising of that. I'm very evasive. No, it's it's like all these like celebrities are like lie about like how they lost weight or like, you know, stuff like that. I'm like, I, I worked on this project for my first one with this filmmaker. I feel what's wrong with me. All right. So, yes, yeah, so it was bread and butter. <laughs> the second one was a September morning and that filmmaker had a lot of I think the parent was a wealthy lawyer and had a lot of funding from that wealthy lawyer parent. Another project was at a production company Wait, that had it. I'm going to stop you. I think that we should not say the name of the of the second film. I think you should just say there was another because I know who you're talking about and I'm like worried wow, for I, you. Can we, can we not do this? All right. So, all right. So what I'll, what I'll I'm say worried is this. for you, Stephen. I think you just say there was another I want to help film. your listeners out. <laughs> I would have, you know, it's, that's how you gain appreciation by people. That's how you know they, you know, they care. You okay. want to sacrifice I'll turn yourself. off my protective Jewish mother voice. <laughs> Go ahead. You're not wrong. The radar's on for me now. I'm like, I, I love your listeners, but now I'm like, how much? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So here's the, but like another, um, filmmaker just had made a long-term relationship with a high net worth individual. And that person made a lot of stuff happen in the multi-million dollar range. And then other processes, you just 
so much of it is having high net worth individual relationships and stuff like that, that that kind of really greases the wheels for a lot of this process. So the independent filmmaker world, there's a lot of thoughts that I have about it, but they're actually incomplete thoughts. As in like, I haven't like come to a conclusion on anything. Part of your work is that people who've been able to accumulate a financial windfall generally actually know a number of other people who've done the same thing. And so once one string starts going, it, it actually can grease the wheels and move things along a bunch of other ways. And people love giving money when someone else has already given money. And so like once you have that first person, you're like, just do the letter of intent. It's not a binding contract. It's like, hey, I pledge to put in this amount of money. Then once that happens, everyone's like, well, that person made a bunch of money. They must know what they're doing. And then like they go so there. And so it really comes down to a high net worth individual. It's just dollars of donuts. If you look at the process and people listening to me, it's like, wow, that's great. I know so many of them. I have yeah, part of the work is creating a project that appeals to people who are like, you know what, this is something that can be meaningful in some way, or you're someone that I believe in as a filmmaker, and it goes from there. Just to clarify, Bread and Butter was not one high net worth individual, just because I felt I felt like we were looped in in some way accidentally. But I, I, I agree, and I appreciate everything else you said. Yeah, I should have made up like one project, so people are going to be like, he was talking about Bread and Butter. That project. <laughs> like, there's, some, there's a clown contingent who had a massive 401k, and Oh, nice. <laughs> bread and butter was spit and shoe polish and chipotle burritos which are great i will never go down on chipotle burrito i know they've got a bad rap this past decade but Delicious. those are good times speak for yourself anyways <laughs> <laughs> moving on no chipotle is fine it's okay i i have a question and it's a question that we often ask but sometimes forget to ask our guests but how do you pay the bills? Like, is it the narrative work? Is that what's keeping the lights on? Or do you do like the majority of, is like the majority of your, your finances coming from commercial work? Is it a mix? Like, how do you keep, yeah, how do you, how do you provide for yourself in this crazy world of narrative filmmaking? It's a great question. People need to be honest about that. I actually can do it 100%. Of 100% being able to pay the bills, not just pay the bills, develop a savings because of uh, producing. Like just wow. commercials, features, immersive art, and teaching. Like they've all like racked up to the point where the industry shut down, but I'm not sweating bullets. I'm working on a, an AI project that I'll tell you guys of, folks about soon. I'm sorry. And, you know, it's kind of one of those things where that, you know, I started off as an Uber driver when I graduated USC. I was in six figure loan debt and I was an Uber driver. And I'm like, this is it. The greatest mistake of your life you've just done. It's so, it's so like, I mean, I was able to dig out because I worked really hard at USC. Like I was Mr. Eager Beaver. Like I was also president of the graduate council. It's like the student government at the cinema school. I was like producer of the year in 2011, like produce host thesis films, made friends with every filmmaker and instructor there because I knew like, I genuinely like people, even when they don't like me, I like them back until they eventually break. And they're like, oh, all right, fine. We'll be cordial at minimum. And so like that ended up really helping to grease the wheels to be like a stepping stone. Like, yeah, I was an Uber driver at first, but like, and I was on Medi-Cal and I just like, I was on food stamps when I first graduated. Like, I'm just gonna be honest with like a lot of filmmakers out there are struggling. If it's an option, you have to say yes. Even then, my parents helped me out, like, you know, to start off. But again, like that money just faded away because like I can't pay the bills. And what ended up happening is luckily I worked on a project in 2015, doing commercial work then, another project in 2016, more work 2016, 2017, 2018, until eventually just got to the point where I now had like a, a really good buffer and it all has come together. So there's just real, real talk. It's still like, it's still a struggle, but Thankfully, like the past three years professionally been the best year of my life, 2021 and 2022. So it goes up like a hockey stick. I, get, I also have to say that too, is that it was just like back in like 2018, I'm like, all right, I have six months between this and unemployment. You know, 2019, I have like five to eight months between when I have my bank account, this expected job right here in unemployment. Now it's much, much longer than that. Thank God. And so like, it just, it stays low for a long time and then it can very much hockey stick right up. So. And the running for the worst segue ever. Can you set us up with <laughs> what inspired you to create this new product? <laughs> It actually is a good segue. Okay. It's because you're like, some people are listening to this being like, I feel bad for this guy. Or like, well, if he could do it, I can too. It's it's really interesting. So there'll be like a split. So 
the um, project I'm working on is called Logline AI. I got this because there's this one project I kind of conceived of in 2016 called Backpackers. I was really excited about. And it went on the, you know, back burner for a while because I really could just, I was focused on producing, paying the bills and making projects work. And this other writer, Jordan uh, Trippier came in and Jordan's awesome. And we started talking back and forth about characters on the project. And I spent nine months working on that pitch deck. Like I spent a lot of time making sure it looked good, finding the right images, then paying for stuff in Shutterstock, Canva, you know, getting graphic design work. Like I put a ton of time into my life for that project. And then people give me notes and they're like, you should change some stuff here and there. And I'm like, here we go again, you know, and just like eating shit and understanding that I ho- hope this is a mild pro squaring podcast. I'll know, yes. I don't know <laughs> F-bombs, right? Okay. And I'm like, this is crazy. And then I did another project. The ideation process was pain. We knew it was a great project. We loved the project from the log line, but the ideation process was just pain. And then like getting it to a visual point was pain. Like, well, we had to pay for graphic design stuff. It was just like off the rails. And like, here's three revisions. And we're like, this is not even close to like what we need here. And then what happens is like, all right, I have to do this web design because now all these pitch decks are in web, web 2.0. And like, it has to like visually, like I have to like make a website and put all stuff together. And Elementor Pro is like driving me up the wall. And then this third project, my co-creator did some amazing work. Great graphic designer. I'm hiring you do this stuff. One month goes by, two months go by, three months go by. And this person's like, yeah, I'll get to this eventually. And I'm like, this is, this is wild. Like this is absolutely bananas. And like, I, we had someone working on the website for us, building the website. That person dropped out. They're just like, ah, I, yeah, I got this other project. And I'm like, I have to figure out a new website format to do this. I don't know how to build this website. And so I'm talking to my brother, Paul, is it, it was a December, is in January this year. And what happened with the chat GPT is that November 30th, it came out. And me being a huge nerd, I was constantly messing around with this thing. And then over the winter break, we like really like tooled around with it. And we started talking about some stuff. End of January, early February, like, all right, we should make something together. And we spent February just ideating and all sorts of ideas. What do we want to do? Things like that and so forth. What ended up happening is one of our friends, Patrick, he's really, he's a tech lead at HubSpot. Like, and so he then was working on a cool creative project. He did the project and he came to us in March and they're like, he's like, we should work on something together. And Paul and I have been ideating. We created a AI company called Duality AI. We started talking and I told them about my pitch deck, my film industry pitch deck issue. And they're like, let's try something out. And so we sent a log line to chat GPT. It created a project like characters, story, the setting style, even the filmmaker statement, because we knew what we we're doing prompt engineering wise. And then we had it create descriptions for everything, image descriptions. Then we sent those imag- image descriptions to Stable Diffusion and then Stable Diffusion created images. And then we're like, hey, we could use React J- uh, React to create a website instantly from this. It's kind of like a, a format of a bunch of planes. And what ended up happening within two weeks because of how fast Paul and Patrick can move because of AI changing the programming game, they create a working demo of within 60 seconds from just a log line. You create a fully comprehensive project. And once we saw that, we're like, to me, I'm like, this, this is the future for me. I need something like this. I know I'm not the only person who's had to pull out hair, try to do these things. I'm like, all right, let's do this, folks. And uh, I kind of want to show it off to you all and for you to mess around with it or respond back to something that I've said. Because we have the alpha right now and I'll show you all. Well, here, I, I want to, I have questions <laughs> and I want to be yeah. tough on you. <laughs> Please. Because, you because I feel like this is, this is like scary new ground for uh, a lot of reasons, but also exciting new ground too. But I want to know, like, so it's generating a website uh, a whole pitch deck, including images, including a synopsis and character descriptions, all from just a log line. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And then like to, to what degree it's like, it's basically just extrapolating from the log line, all, all the other content. So it's basically writing it for you, but do you feel like, you know, as, as a, uh, you know, with a creative person that like that, like you know, you talk about collaborators having issues, but like, what about having an issue with your AI? If you put, you put, put something together and they write a whole synopsis, it's like, how, what's the chance of that synopsis actually being what you'd want as a, as a, as an artist, you know? Well, the, the answer is zero percent. There's no way <laughs> this AI, I now maybe potentially ever will beat you or the many writers that listen to the podcast. As far as I'm concerned, I'm pro WGA. I'm rooting for them in the picketing because <laughs> if Zaslav can get $250 million, which is 
what they're asking for. You you would think they you can find some you know more bananas in the banana stand to uh, make sure the writers get what they need. And so this is designed to be an assistant. When I talk about the ideating process, I literally heard in one of your podcast episodes that writing is rewriting. And I'm like, great, we'll churn out the first version. Is that going to be the final version? No, but at least gives you something to work off of to manipulate, play with, create clay. It creates clay for you that you can then sort of modify to be in the vision, the style and the voice that you want it to be. And so that's entirely what it's doing is that putting it all there for you to get to the like the major work of the rewriting because that's the thing that's going to turn this into a human no matter what you do and obviously something that's going to reflect your vision. I'm pro chat GPT. I'm pro technology. I'm pro AI. To too many people's chagrin, I'm. I want to see how far we can go technologically speaking. But I'm also there's like this other side of things, right? And I think Alra kind of alluded to it too. And and Stephen, maybe your last answer covers this question. But what about the freelance graphic designers? Yes, you did have some bad experiences, but like the uh, the pulling and creation of the artwork comes from already established artwork, right? I mean, it's not created out of nothing. So how do you kind of, what's your argument when people say like, you're stealing, you're stealing my work or you're not properly crediting the artist or what, how do you tackle that? Philosophically speaking. And that's, and that's a really great note because that's uh, I was at the synthetic media summit on Thursday, AI ethics. So like, the main goal is that AI shouldn't replace what other people are doing. And that was a really sensible thing for me. And I guess what I was trying to sort of figure out was that I can't afford a bunch of stuff and I want something to help me out in this equation. Like I'm still in six-figure student loan debt and I'm trying to build up to pay that off. Is that an excuse not to pay human beings? No, it's a decision I made. But like I, I'm i in a position where because of how painful this process has been, because of how much, you know, it's like we should appoint my age where it's like, oh my gosh, I spent all this time trying to like put this thing together. All this time has gone by. I hope this project still works. I hope people say the industry changes every four months. Some writers say that. I hope it's still something that people are engaged with. Like the world changes and now people want different stuff. And so I looked at this process being like, I, you know, it's one um, filmmaker said to me that she said, it's hard to be a producer and to write at the same time. There are two different parts of the head that's going. And what was happening was I had so much of my producing side going that my creative side wasn't actualizing itself. I wasn't like thinking in a space where I could get deep into that dreamlike state where you're just ruminating in these characters and story and stuff like that without having to feel like I have to chase somebody down, manage something. I can't afford what... Someone who's richer than me can afford. And that's the thing is that there's people who have way more financial firepower who can get all these things to look at a certain level. I can't compete with those people. And a lot of people can't. And to me, I'm like, is there a way that I can compete with people who have far more financial ability than me to make things look a certain way? Because you know, it's we even remember this as students that the people that do the most money into their thesis projects, people tend to like more because they looked at a certain level. All right, fair enough. No, okay. <laughs> it did. It did seem like a certain point. Slight but like, I disagreement. Yeah. Slight. So I could. I think of a and few examples, but and that's good. No, fair enough. But like, and that's and that's the thing is that this ethically, I wrestle with. I'm there with you, and I think to me, I'm just. I'm like, I don't know. I, I really, I really want this to help filmmakers who can't normally compete or do it or make it happen themselves. So. Well- I mean, sorry to jump in, but I think there could be a safeguard you could place or maybe you've already placed in sure. that or or just even a recognition that the pitch deck doesn't guarantee you a salary or a or a dollar deal or any sort of financial stability. Right. It's like right. you're not and this and I'm being very speculative right now. I actually don't know how I feel, but I think a counter argument could be that it's like it's an exercise. You're exercising and you're using technology to help you brainstorm and that there's no way to directly track that this is this lands you money and you're exploiting work possibly well, I don't know. well i just think of all the my director friends who are like commercial directors and they spend like you know at least half their week creating pitch decks for jobs that they will never win yes. you know or they only have a small right? small chance of winning and they're using all these tools that already exist online like these websites like shot deck and other other sites where you can pull reference images and you know, they're, they're desperate. They're desperate because they can't afford to hire a, a graphic designer. And a lot of them aren't graphic designers because it's, they're, they're doing work that there's no money coming in for it. It's basically work that is being asked of them for the pitch process. 
So I could definitely see those people all being like, oh, I can create a deck in 60 seconds from a log line? Uh, yeah, yeah, let's go. And then I can revise it and change the images, you know? And like for my case, for my feature, I did it myself for like four years. And then I eventually had to hire somebody. But was it a living wage that I hired them for? No. It was just like a couple hundred bucks that I had, you know, and they were able to do it. To, it was almost like a favor. So, I mean, just to kind of <laughs> go against the question I asked earlier, you know, oh, it's okay. like maybe it's not actually you know, taking a lot of work away from a ton of people, because in a lot of cases, the majority of this work is being done for free or for very little money anyways. But let me get to a question. What has the what has the out been, output from the AI been like? Like, has there been a first draft from them on a log line that is even somewhat workable? Or is it basically like it's just some ideas and all those images will have to be replaced eventually anyways, because they just don't work? you know, as the AI generated them. Yeah. And the, and the way it works is it, I would visually show you to the listeners, but that's not a thing. Uh, <laughs> so the the way it works is that essentially churns out imagery for Alfred section. It creates characters for you based on the log line and looking at the story. And then what it does, it creates images for those characters are going to be. It, it would be, mm. you know, as, as someone once said, if an AD takes your schedule as a producer and doesn't change it, fire that person because your schedule is not the that first draft is not correct. What happens is, is that it just gives you sort of like a glimpse of like maybe something to think about that you didn't. And then after that, you kind of already know as a filmmaker, as soon as imagine these characters, imagine the story, imagine this world, what it's going to be. And you edit as much as you like for the images and the type until you get to where you want to be. You said a few minutes ago, you're like, I want to show everyone on this podcast. I want to share it with you. I feel like you were teeing up something and then we we, we got into some nitty gritty. Am I wrong? Am I barking up at uh, the wrong tree here? I, so I, I could show you the alpha right now. So well, this no. is the alpha. That's ridiculous because then we'll just be like, ooh, ah, ah. I, know, right? I, I love this. Yeah, so this, is, this is how why the podcast world is great because people are like, oh, that's, uh, I assume that's really good. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> so, right. I, all right. So I'll explain it because we've seen pitch decks before and one of my good friends writes for a24 and i was looking at uh, his pitch decks and the amount of work that went into that the amount of free work that the production company didn't pay for that went into that i was like this is this is wild and that filmmaker was like steven please like i i need you to like get this thing done that person said he was scared of what we're doing here he's like that was this is like mind-blowing stuff because Here's the thing. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna just drop some bombs on all of you and to the audience. I don't trust people reading scripts. I genuinely don't. I don't think they're gonna look at the script the way you do, and I think they're gonna look at it either with their own biasy, their own. Some people are good at hiring people, and some people are good at being creative and potentially sending to someone who may not be at your level, and you're kind of at the mercy of that person. And I think that you have to have a pitch deck at this point to just make sure this person look at the script the way you are, like these characters. Like they have to see them the way that you are, this world, everything. And like we work in a visual medium. And that's why I'm so cr- wild about these pitch decks because if someone's going to read my script, they have to get it visually. They have to get it in a bite sized way. So they know how to orient themselves for the project. And so, you know, to me, like that's why like this thing is like such a big deal for me because there's projects I'm genuinely excited about Malibu Docs, The Myths of Us, Backpackers that I want to get to a point where they look professional that I could afford, I could do it. I can actually make this thing with the resources I have because of artificial generative AI. And people look at it and like, okay, I got the project. I'm excited about it. Like these things are really cool. Also, frankly, people reading scripts while someone's calling them or texting them or they're making plans for later or they have to go get lunch and they read the script halfway and come back. And it's like, oh my gosh. Where with a pitch deck, instead of like, here's the thing, making someone read your script is a huge commitment. It's like two to three hours of your life to read that script. And that's a tough thing for some people to say yes to. But with a pitch deck, it's five to 10 minutes. Then to look at a project that is a representation of a visual version of what you're doing could have makes more sense for a visual medium. And if they can see, it's easier to say yes to a pitch deck too. I'm just saying this as someone like people send projects my way and stuff like that. And I just know like, it's so much easier. Like I have such a different relationship to a project when a pitch deck set my way. And I'm like, okay, 
I get what's happening here and I don't feel like because like a lot of scripts that you read are just you know they need some work and this it's just it's easier to like engage with this from a time perspective and from a like a visual medium representation perspective so I understand like you know how you got involved why this is a great idea but what I want to know is why you Steven the producer decided it was a good idea to develop an app <laughs> like it just seems like such a crazy idea for me as someone who like I'm, I'm a producer I'm a I'm a filmmaker I'm a director I work in video production but I would never think in my life to start a software company to make an app but what was the process behind that and then and what is the goal with this company like what, what are you trying to is it to sell it off is it to like you know have a big payday is it to like you know take it as your baby and like you know run it with it forever like what are you looking for out of this whole experience so it's a it's two-part process you do things that are meaningful to you we write stories that are meaningful ourselves. you create things that help you out and this project was made because i needed help here and i wanted like to bring things to life and obviously i'm thinking to myself all right Final Draft is cool. You know, people have had a company for Final Draft, you know, Adobe Premiere. We all love Adobe Premiere. You know, there's just like a lot of stuff out there that like helps out in the creative process. And this would be cool to make something like that where like this helps out a lot of filmmakers and it can pay by student loans. I want to come clean with you all that I do... I would like that to happen. That would be wonderful. It'll help a lot of things in life. And so, you know, right? And so, and so yes, I, I want something that could help me out. And I could want something that could help other filmmakers out. Here's the thing. Guess what? Some people can dump $5,000 and have the greatest freaking pitch deck in the world. You're going to use Logline AI. And for a fraction, a fraction of the cost, you have something that looks just like what someone else can spend. And guess what? That's really cool because we all got into filmmaking because of that side of us that likes to see like the little person be able to swing and get some hits in. And to me, if I can do something that can help me, that can shake some things up, that can, you know, start to sort of like open it up and I can help pay the bills. Like, yes, I want to absolutely do this thing. And so I got lucky in that my brother, Paul, is a meta Facebook engineer and Patrick is a uh, tech wizard and someone who's built a lot of stuff before. I, would not, I wouldn't have done this if it wasn't, if this was like a year ago, but the speed at what AI can create stuff, seeing what they can do and the opportunity to make something really like really cool and interesting you know while no, nothing's really happening right now this would be really fun to do and send out there into the world and then the one dollar question why why come on this podcast to talk about it i mean like i'm not fishing for compliments here but i you know that we're very shy about promotional content and we we really wanted to approach you as a producer and then sure. the story of the of the app was the primary motivation but like what's your end game are you hoping that people listen to the podcast and go to a website and try it out or what's like the specific call to action that you have specific call to action is that logline ai right now is free to use so when you hear this podcast it's free to use it's free to try it's as, it's really as simple as that and you can make stuff and be able to share it and hopefully can help out somewhere in this process that's the call to action it's free it's free to try and so if you had to say like you know why am i on this podcast i guess i'm really impressed that of what you do for the making movies is hard podcast like i was listening all day to like podcasts and so like <laughs> foreman listening to foreman like you know all these different people and stuff like that you know, I'm like, man, I knew that, you know, Liz is kicking ass, but like this podcast is like, I always knew it was legit, but like spending, like, I literally started at 9am and just started, I think, listen to like five or six episodes, something ridiculous. <laughs> there's like, there's like, you had a flashback episode. I listened to that one too. Like, as I was like going through and I, I'm like, this is like, oh, this podcast is great. And so like, I knew it was great. And I have to say, after like chewing through a bunch of it today, I'm a fan of Liz. And as Liz is attached to something, I have to assume that there's a level of quality, authenticity, and most importantly, humanity in this process. Mm-hmm. I've known Liz for a long time. I'll just get to brass tacks. I, Ulrich, there's some pandering that's about to happen. Liz on social media is a very human person. No, like we live so much and like I'm, I'm watching this show. The It's a pod. They're doing this sort of like, you know, true crime podcast. They found a murder. I forget. Kelly Cacao. Oh, this is it. on Peacock. I get served ads for this show. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 And, and so like, you know, they're, the whole complaint of that show, this guy's like, you know, if you're over 50 in Los Angeles, you might as well be invisible. And it's like, it's sad that a lot of people in LA just aren't like who they are as human beings. 
Liz. And Liz has always been, in my personal experience with her, in my being with her digitally, a real human being. And so like, if Liz is doing something, I'm like, all right, I'm going to be a knucklehead in this podcast, talking about the project. But Liz won't drop a nuclear bomb on me because... Liz will understand that I'm an imperfect person. <laughs> and she'll be like, all right, I see what you're trying to do here, Steven, and work with me as I'm talking through this sort of new thing I'm excited about. That's very nice. And I really feel like I teed that up somehow. So I'm really just like apologies <laughs> to everyone yeah, sorry, involved. Folks. <laughs> um, but thank you. And I'm going to now mute myself for the rest of the recording. Oh, man. Oh, God. Yeah, I'll wreck it. Well, here, so I have a question. This is my last question before our final questions. But like, what what do you what's your hmm what's the best way to ask, ask this question what advice would you give to any person who either wants to direct their own first feature or produce their own first feature like having made seven features as a producer worked with all kinds of different directors like what is the one thing that you think these people need to do to get that first feature going so super fascinating enough i'm watching producers you're gonna hate this folks they check the social media accounts of the people they're just gonna working with and see how many followers they have because guess what folks why think when you can look at a number oh that number is higher than the other person i want to work with that person this is no no like people talk about working in a how Hollywood be a fear-based industry. It really is like, you know, if a project bombs and you're like, well, this person had this much, you know, clout and whatever and attention. It's like, well, yeah, you're right. And yeah, it didn't work out. But if you're like, this person, no one really knew or followed. Why did we cast this person again? You get nuked. And so, like, you know, and that's the thing is that. People are doing great narrative stuff on TikTok these days. I know you're like, uh-oh, the millennials no, talking about TikTok. pro TikTok, pro TikTok. All right, good. Yeah, and the algorithm is fantastic, folks, because the way it works is differently is that it pushes media to people. And so what it does is that it very quickly figures out what you're trying to make and it pushes to people. So don't actually, you know, you go to YouTube and there's something like trending in the main page or whatever, you know, click that or you have to search for something. This pushes stuff to people. And it's a major, major deal. And doesn't just push stuff to people. This is a YouTube in 2010, 2012, where all the weird, wild, and ridiculous stuff flies. Where there's not like a culture where you have to be a certain way. Anything is cooking. And so my biggest recommendation to anyone listening, there's also, I was talking, because um, my, my Gen Z or students, I'm always fishing, see what the next platform is. And there's another platform coming out soon that they were talking about. I want to bring up on my cell phone. But like, that's the biggest thing is that the people talk about the 10,000 hour rule. And if you can make stuff like constantly through social media and then like develop like an eye for like visual storytelling, even just in that format, what will happen is as you work in the more traditional Hollywood system, you're going to be much better than people who don't make stuff as much. It's just as simple as that. It's the, going back to me talking at the beginning. The more you shoot that basketball, the more you practice, the better of a basketball shooter that you get. And the more you can shoot and make stuff, the better you get. And quite frankly, the cell phone, I love USC. I think this thing might have been better than some of those early cameras. That's how no, good this is. stuff's getting. It is it better. Is. So... <laughs> I'll, I'll figure out what this um, app is. I wrote it down because the second one, they uh, two students mentioned it at seven points. And I'm like, all right, I'm on to something, but I'll send it later. I love that answer because it's a combination of things that we've said, which is practice, go out there and do. But you're also saying how important the optics are for the industry of growing that audience directly, which is also something we talk about. It may not be on TikTok that everyone recommends them the practice occur. But you're just saying, here's a platform that's very, has a lot of latitude for creators, yeah, which I think is lovely. And, and two more things to go with that. Like you got to plant seeds and you're going to see you're playing the long game. If you keep meeting with people, a lot of those people like turn into like decent filmmakers and there's just a natural connection and safety feeling of someone you've known for a long time. Like I feel very safe with Liz because we've known each other a long time and like that's a real deal thing like liz can reach out to me without even thinking about it and i'll absorb her stuff without even thinking about it and so for filmmakers starting off it's that early part of the process type thing it's not going to happen right away but no joke once you're around for five seven years it like people like all of a sudden see you in a much different light once you start getting different spots and then i'd say like just quality signifiers you know say what you will but any piece of success you let people know any people's success you let people know any film festival any script writing contest because i literally saw producers grow i grew up with being like you're advertising that you went to that 
film festival or whatever. And the, I was wrong because now this producer went from stuff doing no name to making stuff at Sundance to being doing very well for herself. And so I, I can't stress enough. We look for quality signifiers all the time in projects that get made. And the more quality signifiers you have, the more likely someone's going to sort of like say yes, like a video game. I think it's time for our final question. Sorry, Ulrich. Let's do take it. Take us off. Yeah. Okay. First question. What is the first film you made and how do you feel about it now? First film I made, we're going to go back to Keene State College. I was an undergrad. And I think what I did was, oh my gosh, yeah. My main character wore this burglar mask. And what ended up happening is this burglar tried to burgle someone, but that person fought back and tried to burgle the burglar. And so like, it became this whole thing where like the burglar is getting chased away. And so the reason why the project really excited me, someone in this goofy orange mask, you know, trying to like steal from some kid in a dorm room, but that kid in the dorm room is crazy. And so like that burglar learned their burglar lesson and, you know, just came, I really enjoyed it. And that's why it was super fun. I always enjoy the world that we look at around us isn't what we think it is. That's part of growing up. And I like films that kind of reveal us to show that this reality that we look at isn't what we think it is. And we learn something and hopefully become better because of that. Lay some good filmmaking advice on us. What's some? What's the best filmmaking advice you've ever received or heard or doled out that you want to repeat here? It's enti- entirely self-actualization. Anyone who's listening Firstly, I thought I was old when I turned 30. That's not true. I can't stress enough. Also, I'm on a project with a filmmaker and the filmmaker, one person is 62, other person's 58 and they're cooking. Like they are cooking this project and making things happen. And like, oh, all right. So this doesn't fall off a cliff at a certain point. And so like, I can't stress enough, whatever you think you are age-wise, ignore that. Also, I can't stress enough too, so much of this thing is about self-actualization. Why do I feel not confident in this point? Well, how do I get myself to have more time? How do I break myself of these things that hold me back? Procrastination, addictive elements of personality. Why am I happy or not happy? What am I doing with my time? Also, what's my purpose in the world? What is like the reason I exist here on earth? You got to like get into all that stuff early on because it all then starts to sprout outwards from you and all the things that you do. Why do I do what I do during the day? Like, why is my time allocated the way it is? And if you've done a lot of personal work stuff, not only you get more time, but it'll be in a way that's a long-term and I would argue sustaining because you really ask yourself why this specific mountain I'm climbing. And once you've done the work, you know why you're climbing the mountain. You fight through all the obstacles that take to climb it and hopefully you get to the top. What's the worst filmmaking advice you've ever received? Keep making lots of films at USC and hopefully someone will hire you. Here's the thing. I spent a little too much time as a student. It was one of those failure to launch type things. But other filmmakers, a front, my friends of mine, were like making relationships outside of USC. And if there's one area where I wished I did some different stuff on, you had someone on your podcast a couple of weeks ago who talked about doing a year in an agency as an intern or something like that. And I, that person's 100% right. This, like, when I talk about the signifiers, yeah, that person's got a million followers, but you're my friend. And guess what, folks? That overrides some stuff. And so, like, I know you. You're in front of me. Like, you know, there's a ton of YouTubers with a bunch of followers. Who cares? You know, but I know this person. And I, and that's the thing. So, the worst piece of advice, and I think I kind of blame myself. I may have told myself this, is just keep making films. It'll eventually work out. That's not how it works, folks. You have to look at this device that you're making as like a lamp and that lamp has to plug into something. Therefore, a huge part of your job is finding plugs to plug your lamp into. And so I can't stress enough relationships, cultivate relationships, being ethical, humane, and intelligent in those relationships um, is a huge part of the process because you can build that amazing sculpture, but if you have nowhere to plug it into, then what have, what have you done? So, Do you have a goal as a filmmaker? And what goal is that? Do you have one? Do you have a goal? Oh, do I, do I have a goal? Okay. <laughs> My goal as a filmmaker is, it's funny, I, I, yeah, I produce features and all this stuff. I've been really focusing about like how to make the world a better place. I, things are like they were in the 90s. And, you know, we're going through a lot. And to me, like, it's cr- wild to be like, all right, follow your dreams. And then like, you look around, and you're like, how long is this thing going to go? You know, I, I, 
that's cool. Follow your dreams. What if there's no dream to follow after a while because society's kind of gone sideways? And so to me, like my goal is I, I just can't get away from this is that this has to be meaningful, the stuff that I make in some way or another. And if it's not meaningful, it brings me joy and then the financial ability to do something meaningful on the side. I just, I, I don't know how people can not look around the world and say, how can I at least influence the what's what I can influence in hopefully ideally a positive way. And so my goal is just to either get enough financial inflow where I can do those advocacy things that I've really been focusing on for the past five to seven years or directly do something Something that is specifically speaking to something in society that hopefully we're thinking about in an eclectic way. If you could go back in time, what's one piece of advice you would give yourself? I'm telling you, I really thought I was old when I was 30. I'm like, this is it. You know, I, I think uh, I think the door is about to close on me. I legitimately thought like, you know, like this is this is the end of the line here. You know, they'll never hire me for anything. So that's probably the worst. There's one thing I talked about, like, dude, you're, you're don't go to Subway all the time and just eat your way through stuff. There's still life to live. It was it was really it was just really sad. So oh, I can't man. stress enough. Yeah. No, nah, no, it's got a lot of Subway. So it's a huge part of my budget. Boy. So, a last question is making movies hard. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's it's super hard. But here is the thing, folks: is that yes, it's hard. But most people don't like their jobs. And guess what? Yeah, I, this thing feels good and it's hard, but it feels good. And so, like to a certain degree, you just have to say to yourself, "All right, what what am I doing here?" And again, you also have to think long term too. You know, just because filmmaking isn't working out doesn't mean you keep banging your head against the wall. The beauty of this world is that you have a voice, and your voice can work not just through the medium of motion picture, but also in many many other ways. And so, don't feel confined to just one way of looking at stuff. Amazing. All right. Uh, wait, yeah. Do the thing. Do the thing, Arx. Sorry. Yeah. There's a thing. Where, okay. A thing. One more. One more time. Where Where should people go if they want to do a, try out your new AI, and then also just to learn about you as a producer? Like, give, you get two plugs. Where should they go for the AI thing, and then where should they go to learn more about you? All right. So and we get a lot of crap for this. So we'll start with the good news first. Logline.ai. Logline.ai is where Logline AI sits, and so. Uh, when this podcast comes out, we're going to be pretty souped up. Uh, we'll be at V1. We're at alpha right now, V0.5 in two weeks. So you're going to check it out. You can try it for free. And as far as I'm concerned, if this can help you out in any way, great. If you're like, Steven, these changes need to happen for me to like really like it, email me. This is, you know, how this is some faceless person far away. I pathologically have an empty email box. It's one of the best accomplishments <laughs> I've ever had. And so I will answer your email because that one email that I don't answer will just sit in my head for for a long time. So yeah, reach out to me. And then um, if you want to learn more about me, so should producers have websites? Because I'm like, oh, I've never had to do this before, but I feel like I have to. So you can see me on the uh, USC page. I'm on IMDB as Steven Gibbler, but I don't know. I'm starting to sort of like, feel like uh, people have been rumbling about that. Where's your website? I'm like, yeah, I uh, did a really good cinematography job here. Go watch this. So like, I don't know. I got to figure this thing out. So I'm not, I'm not shooting anything. So Just use logline.ai. Use your own app to create a fictional character named Steven Gibbler and then launch it as a website. You know what? F it. I'm in. So let's do this <laughs> thing. All right. <laughs> good idea. Right. Bad idea. Amazing. I don't know. It's not bad until it actually becomes bad. So I'd say yes until I learn see otherwise. Thank you for being on our show, Stephen. Yeah, this is great. Yeah, you, you say making movies is hard, but you all make podcasting easy. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Do you love making movies is hard and you want to listen to more episodes? Jump over to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash MMIH and you can listen to the entire back catalog of episodes for just $1.99 a month. That's an additional 300 episodes that aren't on iTunes that you can listen to whenever you please. But without any more blibber blabber. Back to the show. Liz, what do you remember about our talk with Steven? I love Steven. I really do. I think that I'm an odd duck and I think Steven's an odd duck and I think he's very intense and smart and interesting and he has more energy than most people have in their like he's like more energy in his like hands than most people have in like their entire body. So 
I admire him. And I think what I remember most about the conversation was not actually the conversation, but you texted me afterwards saying that it was delightful. And like, I just was so happy at the choice of words of calling that conversation delightful because I do think that Steven's very delightful. What what do you remember? Well, he's always got a little smile on his face <laughs> and he's always got this like little bit of a- extra excitement and energy with like the yeah. things he talks about or the answers he gives. And so, yeah, I feel like delightful was the perfect way to describe that conversation. Um, it was just a delight to talk to that man. Yeah, I loved hearing about his background as a producer. Like, you know, he had some interesting answers, I think, to producing that like not all producers say. So I thought there was a lot of interesting little pieces there. And it was fun to hear about him working on your movie and how that was like his first feature. And he's produced multiple features since then. But I really like we we only spent a little I thought we were going to talk about it way more. Like we ended up talking about producing almost the whole time. But his app is fascinating. I thought it was really fun. And he, he gave me a little beta link. I tried it out and, you know, I made like a, what was it? It was like Space Cop or something was like, you know, the name. And then I put came up with like a little fake synopsis. And yeah, like I have an image of a Space Cop now that this, what AI thinks a Space Cop should look like, which was pretty cool. So yeah, it was just a lot of fun. And I hope people really enjoy the conversation as much as we had having it. It was great. Well, now it's time for... The game! I always worry that people don't hear the M when I do that, but I'm saying the word the game, just so everyone knows. <laughs> what is the game? The game is handmade, homespun, handspun, homemade from producer Eric Toms. It is a game where he sets up an indie film hypothetical scenario and writes it out in in prose in a paragraph, a blissful paragraph for us to read blind on the show and to see how one another would respond to this indie film hypothetical scenario. So I'm going to read this for Ulrich. I haven't read it before and he's never heard it. So you've just finished writing the script to your next feature and your producing partner has sent it out. Almost immediately, you get a bite from a financier in a European country. They're willing to finance half of your film, but due to tax laws, the film will have to be shot in their country, tens of thousands of miles from your home. This complicates things because you hadn't figured in the expense of flying to a foreign country and putting yourself up. As well, if you want to take any crew or cast that will have to come out of your budget, though your producer assures you that if you follow this path, you'll be able to take your DP and two of your actors before the cost skyrockets. The rest of the cast and crew will have to be hired locally. However, the European landscape complements your story and will help the look of your film stand out not to mention production is far cheaper. Do you, A, pass on the financier and try to find funding someplace else? B, find the additional funding and shoot in the foreign country. C, play hardball with the financier and tell them if they don't finance the entire film that you won't agree. D, other. What do you do, director? What do you do? Wait, so I, I got lost in the beginning yeah, of the question. There's a lot. So, yeah. so they they fund the movie, but they don't. They haven't funded the whole movie, and I they're have to find funding half. They will willing oh. to finance half of it, and I have to find the other half. Well, I mean, it, it doesn't say that, but I think the assumption is that you and your producer would have to find the other half of the financing. I don't think they're going to be helping you find the other half, but that could, you know, you could assert yourself here, and you could make that an option. But like, but going to shoot in the foreign country yeah. will will allow me to make the movie with half the budget. Is yes. is what this question is alluding yes. to? And I can bring my DP and who else? Two actors. Two actors. Okay. 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 But so your I can... flight and your lodging is not in the budget right now, according to this question. Oh, but is my rate in the budget? Do I have a rate? It doesn't say. I think you have oh, to okay. assume that you do because that should be built into every budget. And does it say if I love the script? It doesn't say anything about whether you love the script. Oh, okay. Interesting. Okay, so yeah, I can. You wrote go. the script, so I wrote. Oh, I wrote the script. You so might, I love it. Okay. Yeah, you like. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. Well, yeah, I wouldn't be making it if I didn't love it. So yeah, okay. So that 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 helps me. So I feel like basically, yes, yeah, so I could try to find enough money to cover my my costs. And then fly to this country and make the movie with what else they have, you know, or I could fund the whole, find the other whole half and then shoot it wherever I want to. 
right? That's no, part of the answer. No, because they, you, they, their money comes with having to shoot uh, in their okay. country. Okay, okay. Okay, yeah. Hmm. Well, I think what I would probably do is, and is there a deadline when I have to decide by, or like, is there like a time no. limit on this? No. Okay. Well, then I think that's a, that's pretty cool. So, like, I would say, oh, I have half the movie funded. That's huge, you yeah. know, um, especially if it's a science fiction movie or some sort of genre movie. And I'd have to shoot another country. And it's like, oh, I just have to raise, you know, it wouldn't even necessarily have to be half because if it, I have enough where I could go with two actors, me and the DP and do it in the other country with what we have then it's probably only like, I don't know, like a 20% more that I have to raise. Is I that, don't understand that math at all. No? No. Because I, I thought you said that I could make it with, with half if I go to the other country. They're willing to finance half of your film, but due to tax laws, the film will have to be shot in their country. Okay, but I can't, I don't have, it's, I thought that was part of the question where since things are cheaper, I could make the movie with what they're offering. I think it's just that you're saving money by being in this other country. Oh, but it doesn't okay. say anything about how you don't necessarily need more money. You don't necessarily have to stop fundraising. After you still half. have to fundraise. Yeah. Uh, okay. 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 Yeah. Well, and, and what were the options again? Sorry. Just, it's fine. Just to, yeah. It's a really long question. A, pass on the financier, find funding someplace else. B, find additional funding and shoot in the foreign country. C, play hardball with the financier and tell them if they don't finance the entire film, you won't agree. Okay. Well, that's almost like passing. (laughs) (laughs) Because if they give you half, they're not going to give you the full amount. Yeah, I think I would probably just be like, yeah, that's great. Uh, Half the the movie is fun. And now I just continue fundraising until I could do until I could do it and then I guess I don't understand like where the the thing about me only being able to bring these people comes in because if I fund the whole movie won't I have enough money to to do everything I think that's the other and I was thinking the same way it's like just raise enough money so that you can bring more people over yeah but I mean I probably wouldn't need that many more people like I could I could just you know maybe it's like a production designer and a DP and like a producer and then some more actors. I think that would probably be all I really need, depending on the country, I guess. And depending on, oh, because we also would want a local producer there to help us, you know, with the, the local team. But yeah, I guess I'm, I, I feel like I would love to bring more people to this foreign country. But I think to, to a large degree, it's like they're, they're the main crew, the main core that you need, the core creative people. And like outside of that, like everyone else is going to be great to work with as long as they speak English. You know, so yeah, that seems like a pretty easy one. It, it sounded really complicated yeah. from the question, but I think it's a lot easier than it sounded. <laughs> At its core, I think what Eric likes to test us on sometimes is he knows that like we always talk about this is my my inference is that we always talk about family and travel. And I think he's testing the limits of like leaving your family to another country for what opportunity. Right. But mm. I agree. Like if you wrote the script and that's the movie you want to make, right? That's your labor of love. Half the financing is such a win. And then I think bringing your DP and two actors might even be enough for me. Like that's, those are like three really, I mean, I want everyone on my team to come over, but that's three really trusted people that you chose. Of course, I'd want to bring my producer too, I guess would be the ish, the worry. Yeah, yeah. And I'd probably try to raise enough money to bring my family with me if they wanted to come. So, like, that option is there. Like, if they want to just come to Europe and hang out while I get to make this movie, that that would be, like, a way that I could be close to them and they could be a part of it. And, you know, especially if the kids are, are not school age yet, you know? Yeah. So, so yeah. Anyways, good question. I wonder what other people think of this. Like, what would they do in this situation? What would you do? Well, they can always send us a question, comment, or suggestion to podcast at makingmoviesishard.com. If they like the show, they can leave us a review on iTunes. For all of you, check us out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at MMIH Podcast, YouTube at Making Movies is Hard Podcast. Check out the ISA, the International Screenwriters Association, the organization designed to connect writers with filmmakers through the programs they offer. Head on over to networkisa.org to sign up for free today. Thanks to Stephen Gibbler for coming on the show. Thanks to our editor, Jeff Rymoot, for doing the editing. Thanks to Robert California Jones for doing all of our social media posts. Thanks to our, our producer, Eric Toms, for being awesome. Thanks to all of you for listening and talk to y'all next week. 
I'm just stopping. I'm stopping the recording now. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>《Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you it's mean not a cellar. the mini-fridge. Yeah, it's a mini-fridge. It's a mini-fridge. Yeah. New episodes of Fly on the Wallen drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallen wherever you get your podcasts.